1: This is the Winning Plays Podcast on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider for the NBA's winningest franchise. Hey there, welcome in to the Winning Plays Podcast. My name is Brian Robb, joined by Ryan Bernadoni, and together we have a very special guest for you today on the Winning Plays Podcast. Um, Ryan and I are huge draft
0: experts, is that that correct, Ryan, would you I yeah, we're the foremost experts on the NBA draft, um, not just in the Celtics sphere, but really anywhere on the internet. Uh, it's what I'm known for. <laughs> <laughs> so we we want to test result. No,
1: we um we the, the the NBA draft is two weeks away. Uh, the Celtics, I believe, have more first round picks than any team in the NBA right now, and so uh, and it's a pretty important decisions they have coming up here. And we wanted to. Um, better educate ourselves on that front and better educate you guys, the listeners. So we are bringing in one of the, um, the foremost, uh, draft experts I think is out there on the web, uh, Max Carlin of the prep to pro podcast, uh, Max, first off, thanks for coming aboard. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And I'm going to hand it off to Ryan here, um, to get us going. Cause he, um, you know, had the original idea to have you on for this podcast in, in a fun little format to, um, not only to take a look at some of the name, you know, the bigger names of this, what is a pretty interesting 2020 draft class, but also, um, how to differentiate those guys and how they all might fit in Boston. So, uh, Ryan, I'm going to hand this baton off to you and, um, to help you get us situated here and to go over your, uh, your expert big board, which is, I know people are waiting for your expert opinion on.
0: Yeah. So just to be clear, I actually, uh, so, in case people don't know this, I know nothing about the draft. It's not that I know nothing about the draft. I know nothing about specific prospects. I, um I grew up in Connecticut in the '90s, so I used to watch a ton of college basketball. And just as I've gotten older, I haven't had time to to keep up with it. Uh, and so I find the draft interesting as a, a sort of practice, but I don't know anything about the prospects. And so, thankfully, people like Max are out there who can uh, can check us on on all these things. And so, before we jump into it, Brian, I'm gonna I'm gonna remember it this time that you know subscribe rate review all that not this pod, but also prep to pro pod and we'll we'll do the whole thing here uh, right off the top uh, but before we get into this i have a little game that we can play to go through specific prospects but max i just had some sort of like basic level setting questions that some of the people are going to obviously know this who are listening people who pay attention to the draft and some may not be as clear on it um, but obviously my impression i think the general impression here is that this is not a good draft class uh but the question that i have for you is like how do we measure what the problem with this class is. And and sort of the way I think about it is, is the problem that if you took the top three picks from this class and just took them out, right? So that being probably LaMelo Ball, James Wiseman, and Anthony Edwards, like if you just lifted them out and put three better prospects in, would that make it a normal class where like everybody from four on would sort of be like, yeah, those guys are in their normal places. They should be fine. Or is it more like you would need to take three better players and put them at the front and slide everybody back three spots. And like, is that how sort of the level of how bad this class is that like, it's not just that it's a bad top, but like kind of it's weak all the way through, like how, how bad of a class is it? And where is it bad throughout the, you know, expected, right? We don't know. Maybe it'll turn out to be great five years online, but like, where does it look to you to be like a weak class?
2: Yeah. So I think the very top is where it's at its weakest because you're lacking guys who have I think real primary creator equity, um, or I guess on the d- defensive side of the ball, real uh, you know primary uh, defensive anchor equity, um, and then immediately after that, I think there are a handful of very strong players in in the mold of of uh, you know may, maybe it's your your second guard creator. Um, uh, you know, a, a, a big man who brings a fair amount of value on both ends, versatile pick and roll player, but, you know, is not a, an offensive hub or, or a true high level defensive anchor. Um, that sort of level of player, there are a few of those guys. I think typically that level of player is maybe something that factors in mid to late lottery as opposed to, you know, right outside the top three. So if you slotted in, I would say a typical strong top three into this draft and then maybe one or two additional guys who have more conventional star upside and then had the normal draft or had had you know this this draft follow after that um then I think you'd have a pretty strong and normal class uh so it's it's you know a little more than one step away from just replacing the top three with with a strong top three but I don't think it's that far off I think that there are uh, especially with, um you know when you get into how the picks are actually going to unfold in that in that uh mid first range, I think that there are actually a lot of strong values to be had, but yeah generally lacking on that that real i would say the creator value is what is what's really lacking
0: at the top so to me when you say that that 's a really bad class though right like that's if you're talking that you would need to add like four four or even five players to the top and slide everybody back to where the guys who are you know one two three become right? Like five, six, seven, something like that. And I should say that, that the top three players that I named are not necessarily the top, the players on top of your board. I know you have some, some differences in there, but that's really what we're talking about is like, you'd have to shift everybody back. And so the guy who's at some point, I assume that catches up because I know people have talked about like the sort of, you know, late first round depth being okay, where it's not like the 25th guy should be the 30th guy. There's not a whole lot of difference between 25 and 30 to begin with anyway, but like in that top place, it really is like, yeah, it's, it's ugly um is what it sounds like to me and one of the next question i had on on sort of that was uh sort of pivoting off that would would be if you could take all of the prospects in the world who are not in the nba you know so anybody who who's younger than whatever age or or would be potentially eligible for the draft at some point like would the best your best prospect in this class you don't need to give me an exact number or give me a list or anything would they be the fifth best prospect in the world the 10th best the 15th like how how weak is like this first, first and second sort of picks versus, cause I, you know, I hear these names and you see them and Mike Schmitz is talking about the seven foot guy from France. Who's like the best prospect in the world. And Cade is coming next year. Like how, how bad are the first prospects in this class compared to like the next couple of years of what's coming?
2: Uh, Pretty bad. Cause I think that um especially next year, which is what I'd say most well-versed in. I, I mean, I know some of the, the, 2022 and beyond guys but next year there's a lot of strength in the top half of the lottery with with real like creator upside uh and the depth is not necessarily there but there are a few guys that would definitely slot in at number one there are, there are three i would for sure take from 21 one this year uh kate cunningham bj boston zyra williams for anyone who's interested and pa- a bunch of other guys i'd consider uh 2022 would take aj griffin Paolo boncaro uh Moni Bates, unclear necessarily what class that'll be, uh like you alluded to uh Victor Wembanyam, I haven't seen him, but from from people that I trust we would definitely be in there as well so uh ballpark i don't know eight to twelve guys maybe
0: of any age i would would yeah, this and it, year. it's obviously hard to balance ages right like you who knows the best 12 year old in the world is not better than the best prospect right now no matter how good of a 12 year old they are right like it's yeah it's hard to balance as you go further out and I completely understand it but like again that's pretty eye-opening in terms of how bad it is or if you're talking about like to make this a regular class you may have to add four like the the first four picks would all have to be different people to make it a good right. class and, and to that point to Max, it be it. like it's and, a huge difference
1: yeah, I mean, and to that point, is this for just from the Celtic standpoint and like trades in general for this year in the draft, is no one going to want to trade 2021 picks for that reason? Like in terms of like the, the the quality is so much better next year, like why would you give away a future pick, even if it is, you know, somewhat protected?
2: I, I would be very surprised if 2021 picks are moving freely. I mean, I would say teams are usually hesitant to move to move future picks, at least the lightly protected ones. Um. I'm I'm less sold on on the 2021 depth. I think that it definitely falls off kind of mid first, but yeah. I mean, if a bad team were to trade an unprotected or light or lightly protected 2021 first, I think it would have genuine all time disaster potential. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them already did. <laughs> yeah. No. And and it, it's 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 pretty no, and it's pretty crazy that that they did that, and I think uh, very damaging long term. Um, one thing that I will say to counter the the idea. That this year is is all time weak, at least from a Celtics perspective, is that when when you say a draft is is weak at the top, and what that I guess like is is uh, you know intended to mean is that it's light on creators, is that that's less relevant to a team that already has that guy in place. So if if you're saying this class is very strong on complementary guys in that in that top range, which I I do think is the case, that if you're a team like the Celtics and you have Jason Tatum in place and you can you know, reasonably project that he is going to be your your primary handler um, while bringing a lot of value in the defensive end as well, um, that you, you you run into some interesting fits and some guys that can, can satisfy some long-term needs uh, and present value. So I think that you know, the Celtics
0: are, are, are in a good position, but I would not want to be the Hornets picking third this year. Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and and I completely understand that and and agree with that like the the Celtics are not looking for and are not in a position to be drafting number one overall so who number one overall is doesn't really matter to to the Celtics Uh, but in terms of the sort of general shape of the class is is sort of what I was getting at there and and I do have one last question on that which is so as you may know like a lot of what I do is on the sort of contract side and and the financials and and the math of how the how the league works and so one of the things that's standing out for me is like would you even want the number one pick in this class? I know it depends on what team you are, but like, is the number one pick in this class worth a four year, $44 million deal with a, you know, 20 something million dollar cap hold on on the end as a restricted free agent? Like, would you rather have the first pick or the sixth pick where it's four years and and $26 million instead of 44 and the cap hold is half as much? Like, is there an argument to be made that it's like literally like, I don't actually know if you would want the first pick. Like, would you want to make that commitment, or is it just like, no, you always want the upside. You always want to take that chance at it. And even if the guy isn't, you know, the marginal value of a high draft pick is so good that even if he would be the fifth pick in a normal class, it's still worth that sort of contract and that sort of commitment. Like, where do you come down on that idea?
2: The way I think about it is, my my top tier in this in this class is Killian Hazel, Mellow Ball, and Anthony Edwards. I would want one of those three guys over anyone else in this class enough that I would pay them probably uh any you know you know up to the the first picks contract I uh, would not feel good about it and it's it's to the point that if you're telling me at six I can get any one of those three and realistically that would be Hayes um if you're telling me it's six that I can get any one of those three I would strongly prefer that to taking my pick of them at number one um yeah, I would be, I'd be very concerned about, about having that contract on the books. Um, it, it's not going to be, a, I don't think a positive value on a, on a rookie contract. Um, and, it, you know, if, especially at, at two and three, if we, if we see, um, I mean, by, by, from my perspective, and I think even relative to, to a more mainstream perspective, uh, something that resembles more of a reach, uh, for someone like Denny Avdia or, or, um, uh Obi Toppin you know one of those guys i i think that yeah you could be running into a pretty serious issue of that player is just simply not
0: really worth that contract especially um d- during the the duration of his rookie deal yeah and that's sort of what one of the things that stands out to me in, in some of the conversations that you see kicking around it's like i understand that you can't give away the number 1 pick you have to get something like real for it when you when, if you were to trade it but it seems like the Timberwolves would just be better off swapping one and three like if that was offered and you literally had nothing else it's just like oh we're going to save 9 million dollars we're going to have a lower cap hold at the end and we don't want to draft the two guys we're going to go one into anyway like sure we'll just trade one for three and and again i know you can't do that but to a certain extent it seems like that's would just kind of make sense here um and i and I, you know it's it's never going to happen but uh so I think we can jump into some of the, the stuff I wanted to do with specific prospects, but, but B-Rob, I don't know if you had any other questions that are sort of at this level, you know, general shape of the draft stuff that you wanted to get before I, before I do that.
1: Yeah, I think we covered, I mean, that's just a good baseline. Look, um, based on just how you described it, Max, is there a certain draft is like, is a 2013 draft where Bennett went first and there are some, you know, obviously old Depot went too, but there were, more misses than hits in the lottery? Do you kind of see it potentially playing out like that? Well, with obviously some pretty big gems as you move further there, or is that, um, you know, would you, is so it better bad. than that? I know it's really, that's like, that's really bad, obviously. Yeah.
2: So, I mean, I don't think one is going to be like that. Um, I tend to think that these guys who are going to end up going in the lottery have tighter ranges of outcomes uh, and are less likely to totally flop. Like, I mean, like Denny, for example, is a guy that I'm a good bit lower on. But I have, I think, a relative level of confidence in him as a solid player. Uh, it's just doubting those those high-end outcomes. Um, so I think that probably less disastrous flops. Um, but also, you know, I, I don't know that I would bet on a, on a player as good as Victor Oladipo coming out of this class.
0: That seems like not the strongest bet. Someone will. Someone's got to. I don't know. Maybe they won't. <laughs> Olodeep, I guess maybe it depends on how good you think D was. Maybe never as yeah. good as that one yeah, year. The, at that, that, one year is, really that well, That's him. Mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I mean, these guys agree. be second team All NBA level. Yeah, that, that right. I guess that would be the question here. Um, and so, why don't we use that to, to transition into sort of what I wanted to do for this uh, for this pod, which is um, so I made a list of forty players, and by I, by I made a list, I mean I took a list of what are functionally uh, you know sort of consensus top forty guys, and. Uh, when we were sort of queuing this up before we started recording, I was saying some of these guys, literally when you get to the end, may go undrafted, right? It might be because they don't want to go on a two-way, whatever. Like there's some stuff that gets weird at the end. So these aren't going to be the first 40 guys drafted, obviously. Um, but I have a list of about 40 guys. And the reason I, that I, I made a list like this is because I think a lot of times within Celtics podcasts, Celtics blogging, Celtics, whatever it might be, there's a lot of the same players get covered over and over because of the players who are maybe – most obviously interesting to the fan base or to, you know, seem like they'd be good for the team. Um, but that we don't really know what, what Danny Ainge is going to do. He's certainly surprised before with, uh, the Rogier pick. I think Romeo Langford last year surprised a lot of people as well. Um, and also just we don't know how they're going to move around the board. So like you can talk about what they're going to do at 14, but it's possible they won't be picking at 14. And so I made this big list and I know very little about some of these guys and, and some I know more. And so the idea is that I'm going to spin a wheel. I'm going to hit F9 on my little Excel sheet and it's going to pick a player at random. And I'll give my scouting report from what I have gathered from never having seen them play just from like, I don't even go out and like read a ton of stuff. I do listen to your, to, to your prep to pro podcast. Um, you should be well-informed then. So I, I, I can't say I listen to every single one, <laughs> um, but I listen to the ones uh, for the last probably a uh, month or so, you know, I've been, been a, a, a good listener uh, because we're coming up to the draft. And so I know about some of these guys, uh, in you know, in, in some ways, but there are other ones I, I really almost know nothing about. Um, and the little scouting report I give might be completely wrong. So, like, I, some of these guys, especially at the end of the board, like, I don't even really know what position they play. <laughs> um, so there may be some that I, I go by a little bit quickly. But then, Max, I'm hoping that you can sort of correct my, you know, incorrect assumptions about about these players, and then we can talk about whether or not they would be potentially a fit for the Celtics where in the draft you know, they might fit as a somebody that if they, you know, you wouldn't want them at 14, but if they slide to 26, they would become a possibility. That kind of thing, and sort of move around the board that way and and pick up some players that that maybe aren't discussed uh, as frequently and stuff. So, uh, if we're ready to go, I will uh, go for a, a first player here. Do
1: You have like a sound effect for the wheel here, Ryan, or are we just gonna go I a a, straight? I, I don't
0: know. I have a a, a manual keyboard that makes a click if like right. I can hold the microphone up. But um, I'll have to do. <laughs> so uh, I, I just uh, I just did it. And the first player that we have come up is, I think somebody who was mocked to the Celtics at some point. I can't even remember which board it was on, but it's Jalen Smith Mm. who we go right off the bat with a player who I don't know anything, anything about him. Uh, My, the note that I had taken a couple days ago was, is he a wing? I don't know. And then I wrote down the name of a bunch of other people who are named Smith, J.R. Smith, Steve Smith, and Josh Smith. And was like, is he like any of these players? I don't know. I don't know anything about it. And I gave myself a confidence level on this player of one. I, I really don't. I think he's actually a big man, a shot blocker of some sort. Uh, but I do believe that he was mocked to the Celtics in some places. So, so Max, can you give me the the basic scouting report on Jalen Smith and, and what you think about him um, both as a prospect and as somebody who the Celtics might or might not be interested in?
2: Yeah, I think your inability to classify him positionally actually kind of gets at the crux of the issue with, with Jalen Smith. <laughs> that, I'm a master. So he he's very much a weirdo. Um, he I, I would classify him as a big. Uh, he his primary offensive utility definitely stems from his shooting. Uh, you know, for a six eleven guy, he actually has you know versatility on his jumper, um, like legitimate off the move shooter. Um, not necessarily much else there offensively, and then defensively, he is fairly interesting he i mean he has real instincts as as a rim protector like he he has actual recognition as, as a weak side rim protector the problem is that even with those instincts and length and and some some real vertical bounciness um that he is really really stunningly immobile um so he's this <laughs> he's this weird combination of of skills where he is a talented help shot blocker but he's going to really struggle i think to play the 5 just on account of how weak he is like he, he is capable. he's super thin right he's, he's very like- very thin um he actually applies himself really well and and fights like he generates leverage intelligently and i don't think that his lower body is is, is like well it, it's he's very weak but but he he applies himself well um and so you know there there like he had good moments against so like someone who's a brick house like Xavier Tillman um, actually, stonewalling him in the post, but I don't think that that's that's going to be something that really sustains for him. So he's not really uh, capable as a five. Uh, so he's this you know weak side rim protecting four who lacks the mobility to actually rotate and get to shots, uh, and that puts you in a very weird position of you know what is he going to be doing defensively? Are you just going to stick him in the middle of a zone to get to you know to access his shot
1: blocking while covering for his lack of mobility? um I'm already out on this guy so yeah it's like be, this is like Rob like, Williams yeah. like not I mean you have a shot blocker who can move I mean he obviously if he can shoot he can do stuff that Rob Williams can't but like what's is, out to
0: me is that he sounds like Kelly Olynyk, except instead of not getting there quite fast enough to take a charge he's not quite fast enough to block the shot like that you right. would be getting you know you would be getting a different foul called all the time and they would be scoring <laughs> in a different way at the rim but that it's like oh okay he's a shooter who's not strong enough to play the five and he's not quite Mobile enough, but he's a shot blocker instead of a guy who's trying to take a charge every time. And it's like, all right, I can, like, that guy's not playing in any important minutes or any important games at any point. It sounds like to me. um But he, like I said, I, I think he did show up even at 14, right, in somebody's mock. And is is this even a guy who, if he slid to max, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like this is somebody who you're not particularly high on. Like, if he was at the 26 30, that sort of range would would you be more interested in him for the Celtics, or is it still like, no, you're still just going to have better options at that point, and it's like not a place you want to spend your capital.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't take him in the first uh he like he has legitimate standout skills. Like I I he might be a plus plus shooter for a big. Um and and I mean the 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 help rim protection is is there. Uh it's just, you know, I I don't trust his mobility to actually get to to the rim to impact these shots assuming that he's going to have to be
0: a four. Yeah, and the Celtics don't exactly play a four most of the time. And if they do, then you would figure it's going to be Grant Williams going forward right. who, you know, for all that he's not very big, is, is also does have some shot-blocking potential as well, oddly. Um, so, all right. Well, I don't know if there's any more that we want to go on that or if I want to spin the wheel and, and pick somebody else here. It's time for a message
1: from our sponsor, BetOnline.ag. NFL football continues on this week, which has a few surprise teams at the top of the standings. And you might not be able to be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. No matter how the schedules change or players that play, Bet Online is going that extra mile to make sure you can get in on every game this season with the fastest updated odds in the industry. There are always more options to wager than anywhere else online. So head on over to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great midseason bonuses, offers, and contests. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. And now back to the show. Yeah, spin the wheel. I think the big question for I have for all these big max when we as they come up is like, are they going to give you anything more right away than like Grant or Rob Williams in terms of like, you know, defensively, especially, because if, if not, then, you know, I can't see the Celtics, you know, wasting a spot in their bench again for a guy that, especially if they're not ready to go in year one here.
2: Yeah. So I'm probably the world's biggest Grant Williams fan. So I don't know that I can give an an entirely (laughs) unbiased take on him. Um, The only bigs that I would want the Celtics to draft in this class, um, in the the first at least, would be uh, Onyeka Kongwu
0: in some kind of trade-up or Xavier Tillman. Um, So that's actually the next name. I just spun the wheel again and I got Xavier Tillman. Oh, perfect. Oh, perfect. And I know, okay, so this is how little I know about him. I don't know which one is Xavier Tillman and which one is Killian Tilly. I know that (laughs) Killian Tilly is not Killian Hayes. But I Until don't know shoot. which one goes – one goes to – one went to Gonzaga, right? And I don't know right. where the other one went, but they're both bigs of some form, right? So, like, that's how little I know about this. So, by all means, if this is somebody that you're high on, give me – give me the, the Max Carlin scouting report on who's – Probably
2: my single favorite player in the draft. Um, Would very much like for the Celtics to draft him at at 26 or 30. Um, So, he's a Michigan State big – Uh. Def- okay. Good. <laughs> all right. Among the very best players in college basketball last year, truly, truly brilliant mind, um, pr- probably the best defensive player in, in all of college basketball. Um, he is relatively mobile. Michigan State did have him play high on the floor at times, uh, would have him hedge, soft hedge a lot. Uh, not a switch big for sure. Um, I think he can probably be a guy who, who hedges. Uh, especially if he drops a little weight. I think he could benefit from that. Um, but I think so you're talking about a, a guy who can play soft and drop coverages, probably hedge a little bit. Uh, you're not going to want to switch with him. But, you know, defensively, I think they for the makings of a guy who could close games conceivably, because uh, I, I think that, you know, he can defend against, um, you know, the NBA's most important action. Uh, brilliant team defender, Uh, super long in spite of being an undersized center, incredibly strong, uh, just like impeccable timing uh, as a, as a health defender. Uh, And then offensively, I, I have concerns uh, just because seeing, especially with someone like Tice that just being a great screener, just being a great short roll passer, I don't think it's necessarily enough to drive offensive value from a center in the NBA. And I kind of expect that Tillman will be a slight negative negative even though he does bring a ton, um, you know, impromptu screening, ball screens he's great with, definitely the best short roll passer in, in the class. Uh, is a really, really skilled ball handler, actually, for, for a big man. Uh, the kind of swing skill for him offensively is his shot. If the shot comes along, I think he turns into a pretty nice offensive big man um, because then, you know, there's interplay there with the handling and he becomes a pretty potent closeout attacker and then can make decisions off that as a passer, but I, I'm I'm certainly not projecting that. Uh, I don't think it's particularly likely that he's a high-level shooter. Uh, nonetheless, you know, a, a role man who is going to pick teams apart, especially if they have to you know, throw very aggressive pick-and-roll coverages at at Jason and, and Kemba, um, a a guy who who can hit the the tight style uh, runners and whatnot, the little flip shots has great touch. But you know, not an above-the-rim player uh, might struggle with the The largest of centers um, individually and certainly as as a helper and protector. I mean, you you kind of see with Grant Williams that even though he's incredibly intelligent and and has some length, uh, you know, not being an incredible vertical athlete and just being kind of small, it can be a limiter. Uh, And I think that might be the case for Tillman. But just an incredibly
0: smart and, I think, underratedly skilled center. So, I mean, that sounds like a player who has – who not only has – NBA skills, but has like sort of Celtics specific skills, right? You're you're describing a player who, especially if the Celtics' future at the center position is sort of the by committee thing that we've seen, in order to just keep the cost down there and, and spend the money where you want to be spending it. I, I think currently you know on the wing or or at point guard. Um, Rob Williams is a has a lot of you know value in in different ways, but that's not the player who you just described. Grant Williams is smaller and you know going to play some four, some small ball five different ways, but like is Tillman the type of player who could be a long-term replacement for Tice when he potentially gets priced out where, you know, you said he's not maybe can't hold up against the absolute biggest centers, but like Tice did fine against Embiid in the playoffs, right? Like you, there's ways that you can can mitigate that with the other players that they have on, on the floor with him. Uh, and it sounds to me like that is the, the type of player that he is where it could be like, yeah, this could be a long-term part of a big man rotation where you've got the two Williamses and, and maybe a, a player like this, and they're all on reasonable contracts and you're sort of cycling through that type of guy. And maybe you've got one more veteran presence somewhere in the roster and like, that's your, your rotation. But it does very much sound like a sort of Brad Stevensy type of center. Uh, you know, he can pass, he can dribble a little bit. That, that dribbling is something I actually want to come back to on a, on a later sort of larger topic. Maybe when we get through some more of these players, because that's interesting to me, but I don't know. Uh, B-Rob, I don't know if you want to jump in, but that's sort of what it sounds like to me is like, oh, that's okay. I could see that. I could see that as a Celtic player much more than, Jalen Smith the guy we just talked about right? Who right does not sound like a Celtic player.
1: Yeah, I mean this sounds like a guy who can help right away, which is a big would be a big check um check mark on my box on Danny Ainge like I mean, like PJ Tucker without a 3. Uh, it sounds like too and maybe maybe the more offensive upside and I guess my question for Max I'm jumping off piggybacking off of Ryan would be like is is he redundant at all with Grant um or is that just obviously if you know if you're going to lose Tice maybe next year anyway? If he gets priced out, it's good to have you know a few of these guys in the holster.
2: I think there are some skill redundancies with Grant, but I think it's important to keep in mind that that's not even really how Grant was used as a rookie. That yeah, I think that that there's a strong case to be made that that Grant should play more in the short role. That he's really really comfortable passing out of those areas, and I mean that that's more akin to how he to to where on the floor he was operating in college, and that he does also have a, a, a very good like push shot game that he, you know, he's, he's very comfortable working in that, like, you know, elbow in area. Um, so yeah, there are some redundancies, but what I would say is that I think that if you're the Celtics, you want as many guys who can pass on the short role as possible. And it certainly seems like Grant is viewed as more of a four, um, that you know, that he's going to be playing alongside another big for the Celtics. Um, you know, maybe that won't be the case in, in closing lineups, um, but yeah, I think there are some redundancies with with, with Grant. Um, but Tillman, more of a straight five, uh, has has more size. You know, Grant, you know, acquitted himself pretty well. Like, but he's 6'4". Right, Grant's 6'4". Grant, four. Grant, Grant is 6'4 like and a half <laughs> in shoes, I think. I think or maybe he maybe was 6'7 in shoes is what he was at the combine well, last we've, year.
0: We've seen him stand next
2: to Jalen. Like,
0: he's shorter than Jalen Brown. He's not tall. No, yeah. but he, but I mean, he's... That's you fine. Know, one he of does the, a good job, but like, the, you, you know... There's space for, for a bigger center on the roster, even sure. if they're not a giant.
2: Sure, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. They They. they certainly need another option long-term. And I think, Ryan, you had it exactly right, that the, the idea behind Tillman is that he's the long-term tights replacement and that that's, that's the archetype that he fills in what would be a platoon uh, going forward. So you'd take him at, what, 30? I'd for sure take him at 26 or 30. Take him 30? Yeah, yeah. He's a top 20 guy for me. Uh, wouldn't quite do it at 14. Um, but I love Xavier Tillman. I think that, yeah, he fits the Celtics really well, like operates out of, will operate out of DHOs incredibly well, uh, brings that short roll passing. Uh, it's just kind of a question of, if the shot comes along, then you really have something. Um, but I, I think even, even without it, you, you've got a, a really strong defensive option who can, who can fit what they want to do, uh, with
0: big men offensively. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a question at 26, obviously as to whether they will be trying to stash somebody, whether they'll trade that pick in some manner for other things, but uh, when you're getting into that range, then, uh, you know, the, there's really no difference between the 26th and the 30th pick in, in reality. <laughs> um, so it's an interesting one. That was very helpful for me because, like I said, there's a player who I didn't know at all, um, really, to the point of, like, not being exactly sure which was which. Um, I did spin the wheel again. And the next player who came up is is another – a player who's much higher up the board, and that's Tyrese Halliburton, who I don't really ever hear talked about in the, the context of the Celtics at all. Uh, I think largely because he's expected to go before 14. But there's a lot of other players in that – sort of mid to late lottery that we do talk about in terms of Celtics trade up targets. Uh, and it's just, this doesn't seem to be somebody who's on, you know, on that list ever. And it might legitimately not be, but again, you know, sometimes Danny uh, can surprise us on this. And the sort of impression that I have of him uh, is the little note I took was that he, he sounds like sort of a backwards player. Like he plays his best defense off the ball, um, but on ball on offense, he maybe is a little bit of a liability. He's not a, big athlete, He his shot is maybe more off the catch than off the dribble, um, good passer, but doesn't necessarily have, uh, you know, have, again, the athleticism to to get by guys and, and to break down a defense uh, in, in the NBA level, uh, and the other thing I know, I think that's a fact about him, is that he had, like, a ridiculously low usage as a freshman, right, he's a sophomore, that's, for some reason, that's just a thing that I remember, is that he had, like, some ridiculously low usage, and then became more of a shooter, uh, is you know is this a, a player who you think is is overrated on boards or is he just like yeah he's in the right place but he's not you know he's not a good fit for the Celtics like where do you see Halliburton both in general census and or you know general uh, standing and, and as a Celtic potential trade up target maybe?
2: Yeah, I'm generally very low on Halliburton because I, I think you're you're kind of spot on with the off ball understanding of him that. This is not an on-ball creator, even though he was a college guard. Um, he has almost no on-ball scoring threat. Uh, for the most part, college defenses treated him like he did, uh, except for a select few, some very good defenses. So when you when we saw him go up against Baylor, for example, they kind of just played the gaps off the ball really well and were telling Tyrese Halberd, you can shoot a bunch of floaters, and he did not make them. Um He's he's a guy who across two years at Iowa State had something like fifty half court rim attempts. Uh, he he draws comparisons sometimes to like Shea just Alexander who had seventy rim makes in one year at Kentucky uh, compared to the fifty rim attempts for for um, just not a guy who's ever going to the rim. Incredibly right hand dominant. I think his only lefty rim attempt this year was a putback. Um, but just, I mean, isn't, it doesn't get paint touches ever. Uh, so he's just not collapsing a defense on the ball is not a pull-up shooter, like you said. Um, so just no on-ball scoring threat. Now what he does bring is a very interesting, what I like to call linking skill set that he's an extra passer. He's a transition passer. He'll hit spot ups. He's a brilliant relocator. He's an off-ball defense, uh, team defense playmaker. Um, really just a, you know, a brilliant mind. But as a as a very skinny six five with narrow hips narrow shoulders, um, just like you know incredibly frail lacking in burst handle pull up, uh, not an on ball creator. I actually do think that a fully formed version of Halliburton on the current Celtics would make some sense. That he he's a very additive player when you have really good creators in place already. So alongside Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum, that's that's a spot where you could maximize. Fully realized Halliburton. Uh, I just don't think that that's worth that much. I don't think that you actually add that much with extra passing with team D playmaking from a six-five skinny guard. Um, so it's a, it's a nice thing to have. I think it's he he would be a serious ceiling raiser if you stuck him on, uh, you know, it, 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 on this year's Celtics. Um, you know, once he's at his peak or or a team like, uh, the Kawhi Raptors where where. It's just you know that extra passing, that really strong decision making is helpful. But um, I think it, you know if, if a team is drafting him to be their star guard, I think it's going to go really poorly. Uh, and I think he'll be a very interesting second draft candidate in two or three years.
1: Interesting. I mean, so you're he's definitely not the type of guy you would package up for in that like oh. seven to seven to ten range. Like, it looks, I mean, basically, you you would you even take him at fourteen if they were you know. You don't even have him fourteen on your your big board, it looks like here.
2: Yeah, I have him lower than that. I would think about it as the Celtics, depending on who else is available, because I I do think that a, the Celtics as a team with with those creators in place could actually extract value from him, as opposed to you know if Detroit takes him to be their guard, um, but it would be far from a lock
0: for the guy I would pick at fourteen even if he's there. Okay. And the problem I have, just from hearing you talk about it, was like, I don't know what the comp for that player is that's, like, a valuable NBA contributor, even. Uh, you know, you're talking about on offense, really. and it's like, is that sort of, like, is he actually a two-guard and not a point guard? Sean Livingston? But, is that a little, like... No, because kind of Living, Livingston, Livingston had that it, tough shot-making on right. the ball.
2: Yeah, well, that's he had
0: true. A, yeah, I mean, pre-injury, Livingston was, was a, I think, a much better athlete as well in, in a number of different ways. Like, because Halliburton's skill is more of, sort of spot up shooting. I don't know if he's an off the movement shooter, like a catch and shoot guy, you know, is doing sort of Redicky stuff where he's running around screens and all and all that, but like I don't know. The, the player you're describing, like I said, it's just somebody who I'm like, this player exists in the NBA, but like I'm having trouble thinking of who they are and where I where you know where they've made a big impact in anything. So, um I don't know. Maybe the reason that he's not being uh, you know, connected to the Celtics is because the smart teams aren't all that high on him. I guess that's a possibility. Uh, yeah.
2: I think the idea is Lonzo. Uh, you know, remains to be seen, kind of how good Lonzo is, how valuable that s- sort of linking concept is. Uh, but yeah, I think it, I think it's hard to find guys. I think the perfect context raises a ceiling without much usage. But um, you know, not a not a guy I would take
0: in the top half of the lottery by any means. Yeah, it's funny. The note, one of the notes I, had, I put on him is: "Is this guy Lonzo? Even though Lonzo's brother is in this class, <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> he, he's so. probably more similar to, to Lonzo than Lamelo is."
0: Hmm. All right.
1: Um, um, oh yeah, Frank, oh, fire away.
0: Yeah, so I, I, spun it again, and uh, moving into into the wings, uh, this is a player who I think, uh, again, we were talking about even before we started recording as somebody who uh, who might come up, and that's Sadiq Bay, um, from you know, uh, sort of three and D prospect uh, from Villanova, right? All these guys from Villanova. I was like, is he, Is this Mikhail Bridges? Uh, if he's Mikhail Bridges, I'm interested. But uh, there aren't, like, a lot of Mikhail Bridges on the defensive end. Uh, but the way I hear some people talk about him, particularly, again, as I have said, you know, in, in the sort of Celtics world, I know there's somebody that, that Chris Grenham and Tom Westerholm have talked about on a number of different podcasts or written about is somebody that they're very high on. But I really don't know much about him other than, like, yeah, he's sort of a standstill shooter three and D guy who, who you are not high on. So, um, you know, maybe we can also use this to to transition to talking about some of the other wings who, if, if I don't think he would be your choice at 14, you know, some of the other guys in, in that range who you think are, are better than him and more interesting. Cause I know there is sort of a group of guys that you get into sort of past Devin Vassell, but before you get to the end of the first round that are like, you know, everybody has their own favorites in the sort of three and D molds But what do you think of Bay?
2: Yeah, I think Bay is fine. Um, offensively, very good shooter. Uh, I think it probably understates him to just say that he's a spot-up guy. I think he definitely has off-the-move capability. Uh, I, I don't know that he'll really be getting up a volume of pull-ups. Just he's kind of low-release. Uh, worry about a little bit about adding range. Got a kind of low trajectory on it. Um but definitely a good shooter, strong, lengthy track record going back to AAU, I believe, is a very, very good shooter, uh, and that has value if you're six seven and a very good shooter. Uh, I, I kind of don't really like anything else about Sadiq Bay that he's not an on the ball advantage creator. He is never getting by anyone. Um, does you know just will constantly get walled off on the occasions that he does get to the rim. Does not have the vertical athleticism to really be uh, an above the rim finisher. Um, I don't like his his decision making at all. I think that uh, he kind of out of necessity played with the ball in his hands a fair amount. Um, just the, you know, generally, I think that his offense is is okay. You know, he's the shooting is is bankable, but beyond that, especially if you're taking him the lottery, you know, is this a guy that you're expecting to create? Because I don't think he has any ability to do that in the NBA whatsoever. Uh, defensively, I just I. I'm not entirely sure what people are seeing within there. Not a great lateral mover. Um, Villanova is a very, very conservative defensive scheme. They do not bring a lot of help. It's kind of just you're with your assignments and you're you're not going to be involving yourself off the ball that much. That said, I still think that there are moments from Sadiq Bay that even in a very conservative scheme uh, are troubling uh, from a lack of recognition standpoint. Um, so I don't think that he is a good defensive prospect at all, really. I, I think that, uh, you know, on the wing, you're, you're expecting a lot, uh, from a help standpoint from, from, from defensive players, but, you know, even on the ball, I'm, I'm rather low on him there. Uh, so he's fine. I don't think that he would be disastrous. Uh, you know, if, if you were just intent on getting a six, seven shooter, I think Sadiq Bay can be that guy, but I, j- I kind of just take issue with, with most of, of everything else.
1: I mean, just going, looking at just shooters in this draft in general. Like, I mean, I, I look at the Celtics roster right now and look at this draft class and the depth of guys like Ben. It seems like from the mid to late first round, there's a pretty healthy diet of shooters. Um, not all wings, obviously, but just like something this Celtics team could use with, you know, Carson Edwards not looking like he's panning out and, um, you know, bench offense, obviously capability. So if Bay's down your list, I mean, whether it's, you know, Woodard, Bain, Terry, Naismith, obviously there's Green, McDaniel. there's a lot of guys there. Like who, who kind of pops from you out of that pack and would you wait, would you try to get one of these guys at 14 or wait, you think one of them would fall toward the end of that first round if you're going to keep, you know, one of those picks towards the end?
2: Yeah, I'm probably waiting on these guys for those later picks. I like Bain. Um, my favorite of the true three and D guys is probably Isaiah Joe. Um I, I like Green as well, uh, but I have a lot of issues with him offensively. Um That's I would my guy now. Uh, Josh Green <laughs> has become my guy because yeah, I know nothing no, I,
0: about him. Zero we yeah, about him.
2: I saw you were at you were asking about him um yeah. in the mailbag for my podcast. I, I like Josh Green as as well. Um uh I mean we do
0: you guys wanna get into the offensive issues with him now or do you wanna wait on that? Yeah, I mean, I think we can jump there. I and mean, the interesting thing for me is, in sort of all this context is, like, the problem I have with with Bay is, you know, you said he's 6'7", and that's fine. But, like, the way that I'm guessing that the Celtics are going to develop going down the line is, like, they need somebody, if there's the starter who's next to the Jays, needs to be able to defend big wings. And so if you're drafting somebody who's not going to be able to do that, then you're probably drafting somebody who's, like, sort of in the mix with Lankford, maybe as a bench guy, like one of those guys probably isn't even on the team that long-term and you're sort of setting yourself up for like, okay, this is a depth contest for like our seventh and eighth guy versus can you, can you get somebody who can defend, you know, bigger wings? And that's why the guy who's really interesting to me and we can pick up on this one later is Patrick Williams, but like Josh Green to me just looks like a player who's a little bit more dynamic in like trying to win a fight to be the seventh guy on a playoff team because it looks to, like, again, I've never seen him actually play, but, like, I just look at the stats. I'm like, okay, he can pass a little bit. They say he, he's athletic, and shooting wasn't great, but like, he was a pretty good free-throw shooter, and he sort of does a little bit more than the other guys in that range. So, but I don't know. I he's I sort of joked in my my blog uh, big board of stuff that I've never seen. It's like, to me, he's like tabula rasa, right? Like, I can draw any picture I want on him, because he's like, oh, he's a 6'6 six, six wing. We shoot shooting, pass, and defend, and he's athletic. Sounds wonderful. What am I missing?
2: Um... What you're missing is a really murky offensive projection. Uh, I guess we could start with the shot. I'm not super confident in it. I think that maybe he he should probably hit spot-ups okay eventually. But there are real mechanical issues there. His lower body is a total mess. Like, he points both of his feet inward and, and gets, like, a, a significant amount of knee valgus and then also has a really uh, poorly aligned elbow.
1: They're going to take it's, him then. If he has a questionable shot, Next, <laughs> that's... They might as well put him in Pennsylvania 30.
2: But honestly, the shot is not his biggest issue. It's that he is an outlier, outlier bad finisher. Um, he has no left hand. Uh, I think he, I think he had two left hand attempts this year. Uh, but you can see the terror in his eyes when he is in a position where he should be attempting a lefty layup. Uh, he has some of the most horrific, like two handed layup attempts. Uh, everything with him is an attempt at a contortion reverse to to try to finish with his right hand. I believe the synergy number is 7th percentile half-court rim finisher while being, like you said, an athletic 6'6", six, six, well-built guy. Um, just an unbelievably poor finisher. Now, on the positive end, uh on offense, uh yeah, he, he has legit passing ability. Um, I think he'll be very plus for a closeout attack role. As a guy who can who can make some nice kickouts and definitely has some nice interior passing, uh, some of his quick processing, uh, like redirects, are really incredible. Uh, and he has a, he has a solid little runner game, uh, which kind of speaks to some touch, uh, which you see in, in the free throw numbers as well. That you know maybe there is some shooting upside there. But what's really interesting about Green, and I think kind of why you're interested in him, is that he is a really really good defensive prospect. Uh, he is not quite in that Vassell Acquaro tier but he is he's exceptional um he has the best hips in the class they're really special uh his ability to to flip them is um pretty unparalleled it's just incredibly quick moves really well laterally is strong um really blows through screens while also being a very very good team defender he's smart he's reliable his recognition is good um he is very active on on stunts and digs and and his recovery off those is also great um Really like play plays the the stunt itself really well and then will also deny a pass on, on his recovery. He's just very, very technically sound and intelligent and physically talented as a defender. So I like Green a good amount. A uh, really good defensive prospect. Have a lot of questions offensively, but I think a really strong option with
1: any of their picks, honestly. He he's a good player. But is he yeah. I guess I would wonder with like I consider Langford now more of you know you 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 have the defensive first guy like he his defensive chops were like pretty great in your way and obviously the offense very small sample size but clearly a long way to go on that front so when I look at it like what's if the Cs are going to go do, do you see Green having enough of that upside to be able to offensively to stay on the floor with like a Langford in the first couple of years or or do you look to a different like someone like being like a more proven shooter like being, you know, with the track record and you know maybe a little bit older, so you know that okay, Brad Siemens won't be afraid to throw him into the mix right away. Um so like how do you look at Green compared to a guy like that.
2: Yeah, I, I was a huge Romeo guy. Uh I probably I guess was one of the rare people to really think of him as a lottery guy last year. Um liked him a lot defensively. I think Green is is fairly notably better as a defensive prospect. And I think I I prefer Romeo by a solid amount as an offensive prospect for sure. That just I mean, Romeo is, as a slashing prospect is just so much, so so many worlds different from Green and is kind of strong players with questionable shots and plus passing for that closeout attacker role. I think that you know, that when you when you factor in that Romeo is such a better uh, finisher that he he's a much better offensive prospect. But my my counter to the idea that they're redundant would be that you want as many of these. Close out attacking six five six six wings as you can possibly have. Um, those are the guys that you you are going to throw out in kind of any lineup possible, and and you just want them uh, finishing plays off of off of uh, action that that's run by by Jason and Kemba primarily. Um, you know you can never have too many of those guys. So yes, I think there are definitely some redundancies with Romeo uh, Green, a little bit more of a defense first prospect romeo more to the offensive end but um yeah i don't think you can
0: have too many of those guys yeah that's really where i go with it is and like that's where it's come from that it's like oh this is an interesting guy to me because if you look at like the recent it's this is one of those like hypothetical things everybody talks about when they look at the nba like those are the guys you want but if if you look at the actual recent history of the draft like if you're drafting outside the top 10 you a lot of the time like first of all there aren't a lot of like star players that come from that range the I make jokes about how like the league isn't good at drafting, but in general they are actually okay drafting at, at the very top, and then you sort of get into this big wide nothingness in, in the middle of the first round, and like it gets hard there. But the guys who do come out of that, like I look back at at um at Separtno's tiers ranking and took like the top three tiers, which is the top 75 guys or something, and and there were 14 14 or 15 players that were not drafted in the top 10 that came out of it. And half of them were guys who were between 6'5 and 6'9 and were drafted as wings. Now, one of those is Giannis. He's not 6'9 anymore, but, like, when he was drafted, he was a 6'9. Sort of nobody knew what he was wing, right? And one of those is Devin Booker, who's sort of a lead guard now. It's But he was a 6'5 shooting prospect when he came out. So somewhere between, like, half or, or one more of those guys have been this kind of mold. And, like, when they were drafted, none of them were perfect players either, right? They would have been drafted in the top 10 if they were – if Jimmy Butler had – the game he had now, he wouldn't have been the 30th pick in the class. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, like uh Clay Thompson, like all these guys had some issue that needed to be fixed. But the thing that they share is like from that group, there's like two small ball centers. There's two traditional big centers. There's a couple of guards. One of them is Donovan Mitchell, who's like kind of hard to define even what he really is. Like, it's just the one that you have the best odds with is the wing and like that's totally where it comes from. It's like, okay, so what if you have one too many wings and they end up getting going nowhere and getting, you know, released or traded in a couple of years. Like that's fine. Like you're taking swings on all of them. So that's really where it comes from with, with green and with any of these guys f- from my perspective. Um, are we okay going through a couple more of these? We we have time. I think maybe we wanted to jump to like some, maybe a little bit more Celtic specific ones instead of letting the random chance take us places. Um, yeah. Know, I'm going to throw in one... for a couple more. Yeah. Yeah, I do.
1: Um, I'm going to throw one question. My last question for Mac is when, give me the case against, um, Nay Smith. Uh,
2: I think he's a meaningfully worse defensive prospect than Bay. Even he really is is not quick laterally and has very significant mobility issues. Uh, kind of comparable to what we talked about with Smith, that he's just going to struggle to get to things as a help defender, which matters a lot on the wing. Um, and had had really kind of unique issues with not seemingly not knowing the scheme this year, what he, what his responsibilities were supposed to be, uh, how to communicate those responsibilities and those, those coverages. It was, it was kind of odd. He, yeah, he's just not a good defensive prospect. And then specifically to um, the Celtics, I think that what you saw from the writer minutes that Carson Edwards played this year is that being a shooting specialist in a Brad Stevens offense is not a recipe for success. Um, you need to be able to do things from inside the three-point arc, uh, and Neesmith is not capable of doing that. He cannot shoot off of the dribble. Uh, he has a pretty pronounced hitch when he tries to pull up off the dribble and had something like a f- 15 to 17% half-court rim frequency against a really bad non-conference uh, schedule this year. He really cannot get by anyone and is a wretched decision-maker. Um, so, Brilliant shooter, unbelievable off-movement shooter. Uh, I think important not to get caught up in that sophomore year percentage just because he played 14 games, Mm -hmm. Uh, but not an archetype that can really succeed in a relatively egalitarian Brad Stevens offense where wings are going to be asked to do things with the ball in their hands.
0: Yeah, I didn't even list him on my, like, (laughs) I sort of forgot about him on my big board because, like, it's, and again, my big board is a joke. That's fine. Um, But, like, I literally almost forgot about it because I was like, I look at it, I was like, okay, he shot 50%, but like, there's no attempts here. He's not an actual 50% shooter. And to me, it's like, if he's a 38% shooter in the NBA versus a 43% shooter, like, he's nothing, right? There's such a line there where he has to be able to scare defenses like we saw Duncan Robinson do. Cause okay. if all the other, he's actually, you know, in a 38% three point shooter, then it's like, yeah, he's never going to play. There's those guys are a dime a dozen. Like, that's not a thing. Uh, and even if he is a, is a 42% shooter, like, you have to be able to do that every year, like year over year over year to get defenses. If you have a bad year, then your contract becomes like an albatross and you drop down to the end of the bench and like you never recover. We see tons of those guys too who have just have like one off year and you're like, all right, well, that's the end of your week. We'll go find somebody else and try somebody else. Like, so that's what, what scares me with, with him in particular, but, um, all right, well, let's, let's move on to, to sort of some more, maybe Celtics, specific ones. Um, and, and maybe we'll go, uh higher up the board on one. So the the player that interests me the most for the Celtics, and I know uh, the number one player on, on your board is obviously Killian Hayes, who might be available sort of in the trade-up range. We don't really know if he will be or not. So that's, I'm sure, who you are most interested in. The one that gets me is Patrick Williams. Because he looks like such an obvious fit for the Celtics. And I know you don't want to draft for fit. And I know he didn't start, right? He came off the bench on a on a good team, right? I think they were a pretty good team. But like, it, so there's a little bit of sort of why isn't he starting, all that stuff. But I look at him, I'm like, okay, oh, he's 6'9". He was a, you know, gets to the free throw line, was a good free throw shooter. Again, I know he didn't make a ton of threes, but, like, that portends well enough for for future development. Um, good block and steal numbers. But, again, the, the big one is, like, he's the one guy who, okay, okay he's 6'9", but he's also a wing. And really what you have with the Celtics is, like, Jalen, more of a 3'2", Tatum, more of a 3-4, but, like, as he grows as an offensive creator, he's going to spend less energy on defense. Like, he's not going to be able to defend all these big wings. Jalen, he's, like I said, we're bigger than Grant Williams, but he's really not that big. He's not that tall, particularly. And so Patrick Williams, to me, looks like the one, like, if you're going to trade up, like, maybe that's the guy who's the long-term fit in this, like, three-wing system that Brad Stevens is playing. Pass, shoot, defend, all that. Like, where do you fall with him? And, and again, sort of a similar question I asked before, like, what am I missing that makes him – the 15th best prospect or the 10th best practice in the class instead of like second or first. I don't know. Cause that profile looks so modern for the NBA.
2: So I, I am a very, very big Patrick Williams fan. Um, I will generally kind of go to bat for him. However, um, there is a, a very, I think, crucial thing that you're, that you're missing with with a stat profile from him is that his lateral movement is really poor. Um, like very notably poor, um, I don't think that he can defend big wings even. He just can't move well enough laterally. His hips are really, really poor, uh, super wide turning radius, very slow. Um, yeah, yeah I think it's, it's
0: – steals and blocks if he's that
2: – Brilliant or team or defender. Uh, and anyway, he's not
0: a good rebounder either. Like that was one of the other things that I guess like Kevin Pelton had called out, that he's really poor rebounding, right? I don't know if that's related to sort of that mobility stuff because you'd think he'd be big and physical and would be able to, to get a lot of rebounds. But So it's all team defense. It's all sort of off-ball stuff. And if you're looking for somebody who can – hope to put on you know lebron that's not his not going to be his role
2: yeah i think that's pretty much the case really really smart team defender very very skilled interior help defender like very adept already with verticality uh has second jump ability is very strong and can can take contact and still contest um and that's super valuable that he is this three and rim protection guy uh that's why i like him so much but he's not the big wing
0: stopper he can't move laterally with those guys uh, is but, there one of those in this class then? Because, like, six 6'6". Like uh, I can't I, imagine I, that you can put him on those guys. Not that there's many of them, but, like, Giannis, LeBron, like, could he defend Kawhi? Like, is that the, the limit of how big guys could get that he could defend? Or, like, is there somebody in the draft who I just don't know about who, who you look at and be like, yeah, that's the big wing stopper if you had to guess who they would be?
2: Yeah, so length and size will probably be a limiter to some extent for Okoro. Uh Like, guys will finish over him. Uh, both as a primary defender and a help defender. But he he's that guy in this class, I would say. He and Green. Um, He is an incredible lateral mover, and just, like, really screens do not exist to him. Uh, He's, he's I think, a two through four pretty much stopper. Uh, Will Kevin Durant shoot over him? Yeah. Uh, But... For well, the most yeah. <laughs> part, I yeah. For the most part, I don't really worry about Okoro on the ball at all. I think maybe slant better toward the slightly smaller guys, but I I would have a lot of confidence putting him on, on a
0: big wing. Because scares me. One because he's six six instead of six eight, and two because he's not a good shooter, right? And like that's where I get end up with Patrick Williams. Like okay, six nine, better shooter they both can pass some amount so it's sort of like disappointing to hear like oh no patrick williams is actually not not that kind of defender because um in terms of like who i would be looking for the Celtics to trade up for the one is, is again the one that i think you would say which is hayes which would make perfect sense to me we can talk about him now if if you want as well that it's like if you're going to trade up a doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me I, i've sort of made that clear on on twitter or whatever um hayes does more as like a long term Right, obviously Kemba is not on the same age curve as as Jalen and Jason, and what you're we saw in the playoffs that if you have a six foot point guard and you're trying to get to the very end of the playoffs, like it can be a problem. And and Hayes doesn't have that. So um, if you were to trade up to say six, seven, eight, is it just a, a lock in that you would be wanting to take Killian Hayes because he's number one on your board? Is it also that you think he would be a good fit for the Celtics if if you were able to get up, you know, go up and get him? Um, sort of where does he fit as compared to some of the wings who who might be in the conversation there?
1: Yeah,
2: it's, it's both that um, I think he's a great fit, and I have him kind of as as the top player in this class. Uh, I see team-by-team team variation
0: uh, among my top three guys. But for for the in Celtics... In tier, right? You have yeah, him in the yeah. tier above the, the other wings. So I guess, yeah. I don't know, if Anthony Edwards is probably in, your, in that tier. but um, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I, I have Killian in, in, in my top tier and would be number one for me on a Celtics board. Um, yeah, I think he is a very, very good fit on both ends that the Celtics are a team that moves a lot horizontally um, that Killian would be able to, to uh, play alongside a, a, an oversized creator and would be able to attack in advantage situations that he wouldn't be relied upon to be playing out of pick and just a high pick and roll, you know, 60% of the possessions that he's out there or something insane like that. Um, That, you know, he's in a more balanced offense like that. And then defensively, I think it's a spot where you can extract the most value from him because he is, I think, defensively kind of stylistically similar to Jason Tatum, that he's at his best operating from the nail, uh, that he just has a great feel for impacting drives there with stunts and digs and that he is a, uh, an adept rotator with his size for a guard on top of being a very accomplished uh, on ball defender at this point too. Um, so yeah, I think that the Celtics could just extract a ton of value from Killian on both ends. Uh, you know being being another guy who who is that long-term creator and then who also just by being a guard with with significant size and strength that he fits into an idea of the Celtics where they are very switchable where they're not really conceding any size at any position uh I think that's interesting as well um So, yeah, Killian would be the guy I would trade up for. However, I I am uh, open to the the Kongwu trade-up idea more so than you, although I I, I do understand the reservations there, and I think there are some
0: serious value questions and team-building questions that come into play. So realistically... I don't know if you have thoughts on any of that. Like, my problem with the Kongwu is that he's a center, basically. Like, that's why it's like I don't want to spend the draft capital of, like, two or three picks to trade up to take a center who's 6'9", and who's going to compete with, robert williams for minutes and like i don't know that's my entire problem with it isn't that i don't think he's a good player i have no idea but i don't know if do you have a favorite in that who who's caught your fancy b rob no i mean i i tend to
1: i mean i understand the the fascination with him but like you said there's there's gonna be he's not gonna be a clear-cut you know top option right away barring you know something surprising on that front he's gonna have to compete with with grant and rob and whoever's left around at the center spot so maybe he's the long-term answer but given how, you know, this team is prioritizes the center position it would be and doesn't tend to trade up generally, um, I'd be surprised to, for them to move up for
0: for him. Yeah, so um, I think that – I don't know, Max, do you have anything you want to talk about with the Congo or Is it well-trod territory and you want to move forward a little bit? I don't know. <laughs> if you, have something mean, you want to add, go ahead. If,
2: if you want the case for him, it's sure. that um, – it's really rare to find uh extraordinarily coverage versatile big men, I think um and a is a guy who will be a great drop defender uh can, will definitely be able to hedge and I think will late switch just fine he's not bam at bio no one moves like that uh but he he I think will be very coverage versatile. I think there's a ton of value in that, uh, in just being able to adapt to your opponent and still being very good. Because I think he will be very good in all of those other coverages. Uh, and then that he's just a, you know, is adding value pretty seamlessly. That he's just going to be a great pick and roll player on both ends. I think truly one of the best in the league on both ends, and is a is a smart help defender as well. I I get the concerns that you don't want to invest that much in a center. I think that that certainly seems to be how the Celtics feel, that they don't want to invest that much in the center position. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I would not want to invest a super high pick in Onyeka Okongwu if I were not a team that had those those creators in place. But as the Celtics with Jason Tatum there, uh, to get a guy who is such a good complement and who you could lock up long-term, even paying him a fair amount of money with... Uh, without having to go out and still find um, your offensive engines, I think, you know, makes a better case for a Kongwu who is just a really, really strong complementary player on both ends.
1: What's the highest you think he could realistically go? Like, could Hornets take him at three?
0: Uh, I
1: mean, they could, I guess. I, I wouldn't Sam take Buscini him that high. Him at
0: three. Sam Buccini and his mock at him at three today, basically under the, the assumption that if they don't trade up, a Wiseman goes two, then they would want a center still. And take sure. great. I, I think the logic Maybe to that Kevin. is Maybe
2: that, yeah, is that you, you take him there and then next year you're still bad and you can get that, that primary handler. And I think that that makes some sense. But yeah. if, if that's the case, I would, I would probably prioritize one of the wings in a core over but I, I, see the case where it, I think a is a very good prospect. Uh, it's just, yeah, the, the center value is limited and, and his, his value is, is
0: limited. I think that he is primarily just a pick and roll guy on both ends, but he's a very good one. Yeah, I mean, the thing that scares me with him maybe is is something that you actually just alluded to, which is, like, what does his career look like as a Celtic? He comes in, he probably isn't going to play a ton his rookie year. Uh, he might play some, but, like, you have Tice, you have other options there. They're probably going to sign some sort of veteran center. He Let's say you know, starts to play more in his second year, breaks down his third year. And then, like, you get to a position where it's like, now we have to pay him, right? And, like, I don't want to pay basically any center 20 25% of the cap. And, like, if he breaks out, it's like you're committing to being like, oh, yeah, we're going to pay this guy who then in the second year of his contract we're going to be like, uh, that's kind of limiting and not really what we want. Like, that's just my fear. And the the counter to that is that five years from now, the league might look very different than it does now. We just don't really know, right? We, this whole sort of – the league shifts in different ways over time. There might be rule changes that we don't even know about that will will change how things go, or the salary cap for the next couple of years will force different teams to shift around and, like, what's prioritized will be different. So this all may be stupid, right? Just silly sort of like, why are you worrying about that? But that's what I'm afraid of with, with drafting a center. It's like, okay, so we spent three picks to get this guy. And then we're going to get three years out of him at a good price. And then we're going to have to pay him a contract that we're immediately going to be like, not wild about. Um, and so that's where I am with a center. Like that applies to a lot of teams, but I think more than most to the Celtics. So I know there's a lot of people who like him And if they draft them, like, I'm not going to be like, you know, crying somewhere, but it just seems like there are other options that I would be more interested in as a trade-up. Uh, so who knows? I'm not an expert.
2: It is a very fair stance. I think that the elite coverage, versatile coverage big men are really hard to come by and actually matter for for elevating a team because of the way that it allows you to adapt, adapt to opponents. Um I think that's kind of the the strongest case for a Okongwu. But it is a very reasonable stance to say that you don't
0: want to invest in a center like that. And, like, I have less of a fear with him than I would with Wiseman for that exact reason. Oh, yeah. Like, Wiseman is just – we've seen so many of those guys who, like, as soon as they get paid, like, oh, shoot, that was a mistake. Like, even Gobert now. B-Rob and I have been talking about, you know, Gobert's next contract on one of the other pods. Like, would you even want to be the team paying the next one? No, thank you. And he's obviously 30, whatever. He has a bigger max, all that kind of stuff. But, like, literally multiple-time defensive player of the year you're like, I don't really know if I want to get involved in that. Um, And that's sort of where, where Wiseman is with that. It's like, there's nobody who wins with like seven foot one rolling centers who are drop cover bigs, like, so Okongu, I get as like, if he's Draymond Green defensively, or if he's Bam defensively, or, you know, whatever it, whatever his absolute possible upside is, like then you aren't regretting it necessarily, but there's just so much like tied up in that position. And some of this is anchoring to be like, Hey, we got Daniel Tice for $5 million. Why are we bothering to do this? <laughs> um, but I certainly agree more on the, the idea of the Okongwu type being less of a risk for that than, like, the Wiseman type, who just would be, like, terrifying to me if you if you draft anymore. Like, we're going to pay him $40 million right off the bat, and then at some point down the line we're going to be giving him 100 and something million. And I'd be like, oh, you're screwed. Like, that's just stupid. You, yeah, have fun in the sure. second round of the playoffs when you're having, like, your best season ever. Yeah.
2: No, that's precisely right. Uh, I think Okongwu is a real ceiling raiser. I think it, it is the difference. But, yeah, I'm, I'm largely with you. All right. But-
0: Yeah. Do you have any last ones,
1: Ryan, or what should I have a
0: question? Okay. So, so I have a question sort of for framing, maybe somebody else picking up that we haven't talked about, or or somebody that uh, may have a different way to look at them, which is, um, we go to the draft and there's a lot, pretty much every draft. We have these players who we say, if they learn to shoot, then they will be something right. So that might be a Coro in this one. If he learns to shoot, then he'll be some big thing. But a lot of like the recent breakout players, uh, So Devin Booker and Tyler Hero and and Bam, even though uh, from a different position, Donovan Mitchell, the question wasn't like, if they'll be able to shoot, it was actually like, will they be, can they dribble? Right? Like, can they do anything other than shoot uh, on the offensive end? And so that's sort of what I've been looking at. Like, are there prospects in here, in this class where you're like, he hasn't had the opportunity to play make to dribble, but like, you, you have some reason to think that if at the NBA level, like they were given the freedom to have the ball every once in a while and and sort of spread their wings a little bit, um, as more of an offensive player in that manner that you're like, you know, I think there's something there that maybe we haven't seen yet and it's not a matter of like, how do you teach a guy to shoot? But like, how do you empower them to dribble and pass that that could unlock somebody in the class we haven't talked about yet? Uh,
2: yeah, I think Devin Vassell does fit that mold. Um, That he's never, you know, he's never going to be your primary offensive creator, but I do think that there are some outcomes where he turns into a sort of secondary guy. He already has that tough shot making ability, but I think that at Florida State, he definitely had his passing intentionally suppressed, uh, that they don't want them taking risks necessarily, that they do definitely encourage those like elbow pull ups. Uh, but I think that Vassell has impressive vision uh, on the occasions that he does get to show it off. Uh, You know, he's not some really an offensive player, uh, but taking like very genuine tough shot making ability, uh, like I think long two numbers that kind of do stack up kind of well next to guys like Chris Middleton and Jimmy Butler historically. Uh, that he has some of that tough shot shot making ability that I do think he has some vision to work with. He does not have the burst to get to the rim, the finishing once there. He's not an impressive vertical athlete. He is very weak. Um, But as a guy who has rare, maybe rare tough shot making ability and real vision, I think that there there may be some offensive outcomes there that are not accounted for for a guy who's the best team defensive wing in the class. Uh, So he's really a guy I'm a, I've am always been a huge fan of um, and 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 have kind of just kept getting higher on
0: since since his freshman year. Well, and that is sort of the player that I was, not the specific player, I didn't, I don't know, like, again, I don't know who the, the specific player would be in that, but like, that's the sort of thing that I was really was talking about. Like, if those other guys that had those breakouts were all, again, if they were perfect players when they were coming out of college, like, they wouldn't have been drafted where they were drafted. They wouldn't have been breakout players. They would have been drafted incoming star players. And so you do get some of that where it's like, you know you're just sort of looking for glimpses of hey you know this guy who we've we've pegged is like again you know i think you you corrected me on, on one of them or on city bay where i was like he's sort of a standstill catch and shoot three guy where if they are more than that that's such a big deal that's such that's such like a game changer for these guys where they go from being kind of just another guy to like something who you can really do something within the playoffs and, and and develop and again like sort of tyler hero right like he doesn't have we saw him play he doesn't have like some athletic great burst. he's not throwing down on on guys at the rim but he turned out to not be what I think people who were like me thought he was last year when he was drafted and maybe the Celtics that's why they liked him maybe they knew sort of more about it but that kind of player that just stands out like every year where it's like oh okay yeah he just never got a chance to do that and now that he does he's like notably better than we thought and it usually is on the wing but sometimes it's not again bam like suddenly you give him the ball and you say hey go and be a, a point forward or a point center and it's like Oh, like just, we didn't know he could do that. Um, So uh, I, you know, those are the sort of players who I've been looking at. Uh, That's all the questions I had. And like I said, we were just sort of picking random players. So I don't, I don't have anything else, but I don't know B Rob, if you had anything uh, that you wanted, you know, felt like. Yeah. I mean,
1: just to wrap for, you know, to bow on this max, like realistically, do you see any scenario where it makes sense for the Celtics to take three first round picks in this draft thinking that, you know, given this current state of the roster, obviously trades can happen here, um, which would free up some roster spots. But do you see even, you know, taking a guy at the end of the first round and, and like cutting Carson Edwards, um, putting aside should I be like, is the, is the, cause this team has done this before I forget which was 2016, 2017, where they had eight picks and they pretty much took six or seven. Um, so they're, they're, they're ready more to take the swings. Um, which do you see any situation where that would make sense for them?
2: I don't love the idea of rostering three guys. If you're going to use all three picks, I would probably want to stash in there. Uh, I would very strongly prefer to have some sort of trade to kick stuff down the road that if you can get really any kind of 21 or 22 pick, not a huge fan of the idea of taking three guys.
0: That was actually yeah. something that right from the beginning of the pod that was interesting to me when you were saying, like, next year, nobody's going to trade unprotected picks. But if you're talking about trading the 26th pick to a team that's expecting to be in the playoffs and it's top 20 protected, like, maybe that's not out of the question. And it's not that the 20 through 30 range next year is so amazing. And so maybe there's there's something to move up, you know, a, a way to sort of move the picks around. That does remind me of one other thing that I forgot, which is, um, other than Balmero, like, who are the stash prospects that are even – in consideration at the end of the first because if people i asked this on twitter and people are coming back with like pokashevsky and i was like is he actually going to be stashed i assumed that he was actually just going to come over and start getting paid like i don't know who there is out there other you know if Bulmero goes 20th like what do you do at 26 if you still have that pick and you're looking to stash
2: yeah so i don't know if poku or tail can be stashed um i mean international seasons have mostly started for the for the most part uh and Balmaro is is playing for for Barcelona. Uh, So he's certainly a stash. I don't think that Poku is. I don't know about Maladon. Uh, I like the idea of stashing Balmaro a lot. I am a Balmaro fan. If Poku is stashable, I like that as well. Uh, I think Maladon is pretty ordinary, uh, fine with one of those late firsts if if you just needed to stash someone. Uh, I think he's just like an NBA combo guard. Uh, Beyond that the best options i've got are probably rokus jokobitis georgios Kalitsakis, uh, alexa
0: radinov i literally have never heard these names yeah so
2: I, I
1: don't so, that
0: you don't need these, to you don't need these these to these first round guys episodes. right that's what we're talking about like these are not necessarily first
2: round talents really, no these uh, jokobitis and Kalitsakis, i would like at 47 as stashes uh the Jokobitis is a guard and Kalitsakis is like a wing forward. They're both kind of interesting, might be NBA guys eventually. Uh not guys I would want to take in the first. The only definite stash that I know of that I would happily take in the first is Bolmaro. Okay.
0: So that so Hopefully they find some way to
2: move Yeah,
1: <laughs> cuz that's yeah. going to be leverage wise they might be in a tough spot there with 26 sure. and 30 if um unless they want to proactively just package those two move up into early 20s and get maybe that first and like a, a a high second in a future draft I mean, like that.
0: I had said at one like only half jokingly, like, and again, and with what I know about these players take this with a grain of salt, but like at 14, if there's like not a whole lot of difference between 14 and 26, like, do you just take Bolmaro at 14 and be like, Oh, the higher salary, I'm going to clear it off the books for this year. I don't want to get stuck at 26 having to take somebody. Like if you really feel stuck and not getting any sort of, you know, not getting the guys you want and you've got 15 guys in the tier that you're sitting in and your next pick is, you know is 12 picks away like do you just take the take the stash at that point and, and like not so you don't have to sweat it out to 26 and and worry that you're you know going to get stuck having to trade it for a you know for two future seconds five years down the line or something because you don't you can't roster it like it gets a little bit concerning in there that that there's that you run out of options if you, if you can't move around so hopefully they can resolve that and and uh i'm not a big trade-up guy in general but that they can find a way to move up or, or move out to a future year or, or whatever even if it's you take 14 and then 26 and 30 you package up and get to 20 and you know whatever something like that but it'll be an interesting night and uh you know i think uh, again like we said max will be will be uh simulcasting the draft on, on twitch um which you can hear more about on on his his twitter at max a carlin right and uh at prep 2 pro pod uh for for your podcast But be rob i don't know if you have have more. And if you want to more professionally wrap this, this episode up,
1: <laughs> no, you just did. It right. Um, thanks a lot, Max, for coming on. Um, this is a lot of fun. I feel much more um, informed and ready to respond to people that get mad about the Celtics taking, um, not taking a 53% three point shooter and number 14. Um, but yeah, definitely check out, check out prep to pro pod, um, heading into the draft in a couple weeks. Um, And we will be back with you guys. It looks like we might have uh, some civics on an NBA season ready to go by Thursday or Friday. So Ryan and I will be back to break all that down when it does break. Thanks again, Max. Thank you for
2: having me.